my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of HR Sound Off. I am super excited to have this conversation with my guest today. You know how we do, so let's just get to it. So in the sound booth with me today is the amazing Chris Dunn, author of the book, The Nine Faces of HR, an avid HR blogger on Fistful of Talent and the HR Capitalist. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julie. Great to be here. I don't deserve like that super positive run-up that you gave me, but I'll take it. Yes, say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. you but uh, it's great to be here with you today. You are welcome, and it's good to, to have you here as well. So um, normally, I don't read bios. Um, the first question that I have for you is just tell us a little bit about your HR origin story. How did you get into HR? Yeah. So, you know, I write about this in the book that mm -hmm. I did, The Nine Faces of HR, that, you know, a lot of us kind of stumbled into HR. We didn't know that we were going to become HR leaders and HR pros, and I'm no different. So if you go all the way back, my origin story, Julie, is coming out of undergrad here in the States. I played college basketball. Okay. And I thought I wanted to be a college basketball coach. So I did that. And that's kind of what got me into the Southeastern United States from the Midwest. Did that for about three years, uh, figured out I was going to be poor for a long time. Mm. So I, I, I went back, I, I started working for a telecom company here. So I exited coaching, went back, worked for a telecom company. This is like young Chris Dunn, right? Yes. I, I uh, worked like overnight in a call center while I was picking up my MBA. Mm. Just like a, a gra you know, graduate degree. Right. And then I exited and I moved back to the Midwest. So for the uninitiated, you know, Southeast United States warm during the winter, mm -hmm. Midwest, like Iowa, Northern Missouri, very cold. Okay. So my wife and I have been in the Southeast United States for about five years. I got my MBA. She got a law school. We went back to St. Louis, Missouri. Mm. We went through one hellacious winter and we looked at each other and we said, what are we doing related <laughs> to the weather? So what I did, Julie, I was working as a consultant for IBM Global, kind of like a young project manager. Mm -hmm. And I pinged back an HR leader that at the time it was Bell South, okay. which is now AT&T in the States. I pinged back the HR leader that was over like the client group I was working in in a call center. And I said, hey, we're looking to get this before LinkedIn, by the way, we're looking to get back to the Southeast. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, do you have anything? And I was in marketing at the time. And she said, well, it's a great, great lady named Marilyn Brooks. I mm -hmm. think I mentioned her briefly in the book. And she said, well, I don't have anything in marketing in like my region, but I do have a position for an HR manager. And she knew my work. I did some project work for her in a variety of ways, just mm -hmm. like to do it. Right. 
And she said, you used to be a coach. There's probably a coaching connection here. Would you be interested in that? And Julie, one thing led to another. As crazy as that sounds, I talked to her. She knew my work, right? So I was smart enough to network while I was in that other role. Mm -hmm. One thing led to another, and I really got my first entry-level role, kind of HR rep to HR manager, individual contributor with a client group. Mm -hmm. And the rest is history, as they say. That is awesome. And, you know, I found it so funny, like in your book, you make reference to, and I don't know if it was that you were making reference to the song, but starting from the bottom, now we're here. That's right. Drake. <laughs> and the importance of starting from the bottom and, and, and recognizing that that's how you develop and grow your, your career in HR, but your story truly is an, an amazing one. And I know that people are going to appreciate it as they read more about it and as they listen to this episode. So what advice would you give to young aspiring HR professionals as they're, you know, making that transition to building their career in HR from coming out of college or even as, as you said, you don't, you fall into, most people fall into HR. I always remember Laurie Ruderman saying, you know, it's not one of those careers that people go, what do you want to do when you grow up? And you go, I want to be in HR. No, people don't do that, but we pretty much fall into it. What advice do you give to our up and coming HR professionals? Well, I think, you know, Julie, you would probably agree with this. I think we see more people today that identify HR Mm -hmm. as a potential career than we did when you and I were getting into it at the different like points of time. You're younger than I am. So I think we see more people who identify it as a career. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, if you see like my advice for people who haven't got that first break, if they want into the field of HR and they haven't got the first break, there's a couple paths really. First Mm -hmm. of all, I run counter to a lot of the people that would say that would be offended by working for free. Yeah. I'm a firm believer. You have to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a job, but if you really want to break in and you haven't got that first break, you're like, I would advise anybody, you need to work for free. You need to do what I did with Marilyn Brooks, Mm -hmm. which as I'm working in a call center as like a 24, like 25 year old. And she had the project that I took for free, Mm -hmm. Julie, was she was trying to decide she was doing an RFP with staffing vendors Mm -hmm. for temp labor elsewhere in this big call center. Okay. And she had mentioned this to me. We had talked about a little bit about it. I was interested. I didn't know I was interested in HR at the time. Okay. And I ended up like really doing the analysis and a write-up for her for that RFP. Cool. And I did a spreadsheet for her. I did all this stuff. So I think the first thing, Julie, is a lot of people like in the world today say never work for free. Yes. I believe if you want to break in and you haven't broke in, you have to. That could be volunteering for a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As a, as their HR person that yeah. they didn't have a lot of different things. So I think if you're trying to break in, you have to look for that opportunity. You've got to make your own reality. I think a second path that's a little bit easier, Julie, is if you're looking to get into HR, if you, everybody's looking for recruiters right mm-hmm. now. So I think you can get into specialty in HR. The easiest specialty to get into HR is probably as a recruiter, certainly yeah. in the States. And what I would say is if you do that, and you can stomach it, you can do it for a while, you'll be more valuable because there's a lot of individual contributor roles in HR where like shop of one, shop of two, Mm -hmm. recruiting would be a part of the deal. Yes. And if you've got that experience, it'll make it easier for you to get that experience. So that's kind of on the front end side. On the back end side, 
young, early career, you know, young and or Mm -hmm. early career HR people, right? You could be somebody who's 30, 35. Maybe you don't consider yourself young, but you've got that first HR job. I think the thing is you always have to seek value. Yes. There's, I write about this a lot in the book and I'm a firm Mm -hmm. believer in it. I think all of us get comfortable with what we're best at. Mm -hmm. So if you're comfortable with what I call transactions, if you're most comfortable in the world of payroll and things that have and will continue to be automated in the world of HR, all of us have to get outside of our comfort level and figure out things that aren't being done in our organizations from Mm -hmm. a talent and HR perspective Mm -hmm. and take on like some projects. And I would put that, you know, projects with a small P, not a capital P, figure out some projects and try and help the organization get, get wins. Yes. I, you know, as I was listening to you and I know, as, as you said, you know, a lot of people are not um, in that same space of working for free but I am a firm believer and a huge advocate for it. And I believe it's a very important way to start your career in HR. You you know, you work a nine to five um, to pay your bills or whatever the case may be. But if you want to get into HR and you're really hungry for it, you're going to find a way. You have to make your own door. So I really do appreciate you sharing those tips with us on how we could actually get that done. So thank you for that. Yeah, you bet. And I think it's true that way in any tough industry to break into. Like if you really want it, mm-hmm. you've got to figure out a way. And yes. hey, I wish I wish no one had to work for free to get the break that they need, but it's a you know, the world's a competitive space. Absolutely. And I don't think anybody should shy away from that. Definitely not. I mean, I always encourage persons who are trying to get into the space. Um, actually, someone just messaged me out of the blue on LinkedIn this weekend asking me the same question. And I, I gave the same advice. But I also said, you know, think about the things in your organization that are a pain right now for your leadership. Or even go to your leadership right. and ask them, like, what's the biggest problem that you're trying to solve right now that you're not you know, able to deal with? And then right. try to come up with the solution and ask them for the opportunity to present it and tell them, hey, I'm trying to get into HR. And this is what I think would help. And if you have an HR department, then you can, you know, go to them, work with them, work through it and let someone present it or ask if you can present it and and do that. Yeah, I think, Julie, my my experience, I'd be interested to know what yours is, is I think only 5% of the world's willing to do that. Yeah. You know, and by the way, it's not easy because everybody has a life. They're trying to earn a living, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. I get all that. Yeah. But this is not a situation where if you decide to do what you just described, mm-hmm. that you're competing against 50% of the world. That's not mm-hmm. true. No. Because most people won't go to those links. Level. And by the way, people love that. Leaders mm-hmm. love the fact of someone like, in, you know, with a lot of humility coming and asking like, you know, what, what's your pain? How can I help? And then going away. And even if it's not a great product, because you don't have the experience, Mm -hmm. they love the initiative and really they buy on the initiative more than they really buy on what you deliver in that circumstance. Absolutely. I, I, I I learned that very late in my career, but still appreciated that I learned it and that I use it. Um, sure. Even as I go and, and as I now consult and I talk to clients, you know, I'm always asking, what is your pain? And, you know, right. if you could solve it, what would you ideally like to see? 
Yeah, that's business development for you now. It's 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 turned yeah. from starting somebody's career in something to now it's yeah. business development. That's just smart. That's conversational yeah. selling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the nine phases of HR. Your book. I'm yeah cutting it up because but eventually this is going to get on some video. So tell me what inspired you to write this book. Yeah. So. It's a great question. I think what inspired me to write the book is simply, you know, I have, a, I have a big belief that HR people need to be really in tune with themselves. So I've always made, and you're probably the same way, Julie, when I'm at my best, I always connect with the people outside of HR that I'm serving. Mm-hmm. So business leaders, client group leaders, And, you know, I think those are the connections where all of this like HR and talent stuff, you know, the work that we do when you really connect with someone outside of the world of HR. And I think I write about this in the book, Mm -hmm. you know, when somebody tells me you're not like other HR people that I've known, Mm -hmm. that is the defining moment. And there's a lot of different ways to get there, right? You don't have to get there like Chris Dunn. It's Mm -hmm. all about connection. Yeah. And for someone who is neutral about HR, it's all about connection and providing them something different that adds value. So back to your question, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of different ways to get there. And I think people in a lot of different kind of like behavioral backgrounds in terms of what drives and motivates us can get to the same place. But you can't get there unless you're intensely aware of who you are mm-hmm. and how you face the world. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do it like Julie. You don't have to do it like Chris, but you do have to have this sense of where you're most comfortable. And in in, to go back to some things we talked about at the jump, you have to figure out, you know, where I'm most comfortable. If I'm, yeah. if I'm command and control and I'm high rules, or if mm-hmm. I'm just this huge change junkie, mm-hmm. how does that work as a positive for me? And where does it work as a negative with the client groups I'm serving? And on a situational basis, as you think about, you know, four or five, 10, like managers of people that you kind of serve in this HR life, Mm -hmm. you have to, you have to like face and approach them differently to get the best results. And whether it's Julie, whether it's Chris, whether it's Tim Sackett, whether it's Lori, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, all the people that listen to this, everybody's got a different path but you can't do it without being aware. So that's really why I wanted to write the book because I've been working on kind of this model that you could de- you could really divide the entire world of HR, early, mid, um, senior level, like people mm-hmm. by their ability to innovate, drive change and add value. And I had this book in me for a while. It's like, it's based off a keynote that I think I started all the way back in 2013. Wow. And uh, it's the book I wanted to write. So I was happy to write it. And it turned out the, the way I wanted it to. Awesome. And it really is a great read. Um, there are a lot of things about this book that I really like. Um, but in terms of your describing this nine faces model, and then you go on to explain each of the different persona in the model um what what would you say in your synopsis of this model would an hr professional really try to aim to be where do i really want to be in this model to be the most successful in my role yeah it's a great question i've been asked that before i don't know that there's i really i think you can have success in any one of the nine faces that, that i put out there i think everybody when they read the book 
and they understand the book, everybody wants to be on the far right of the model, which mm. is um, some some people called, you know, the, the, the assassin, yeah. right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's people like, like that. And everybody wants to be that because everybody like in their mind says, I'm going to come in, I'm going to like tear everything up. But not everybody, we know just through all the people I've put through the model that yeah. not everybody's the assassin, right? There's only a small percentage of the world that's the assassin. Mm-hmm. So I think it really does come down to, first of all, you know, understanding who you are. And, and by the way, in the book, I talk about the fact you don't have to take my assessment. You could really take any behavioral assessment yeah. and use the output from mm-hmm. it to understand who you are. I think you want to understand who you are. I think the biggest learning point, Julie, that I would add, because I'm, I'm trying to answer your question, but I'm not really giving you a specific answer along the lines of what you wanted. But the biggest thing I would add is in the middle, Mm -hmm. in the middle, you've got, you know, you've got like some, you know, going top to bottom, you've Mm -hmm. got like some, some people like the mentor, right? right? The fixer. Mm -hmm. And you've got, you've got these people that are in the middle that are, you know, somewhere in the mid range Mm -hmm. with their ability to innovate and drive change. And by the way, a lot of that just for the listeners comes down to um, kind of the cognitive side. How quick do you take in information? It's assertiveness, it's rules orientation. Do you love rules or do you hate rules? Mm -hmm. And it's detail orientation. A lot of people who have taken it are in the middle. And the biggest thing I've learned that I've tried to convey, and it's in the book, um, but when people like take, take an assessment or take my assessment, they come back and they're the fixer. Really, that's the realm of kind of what I would call the HR generalist. Mm -hmm. So that's where like being in the middle is not a bad thing, because that really signifies an HR leader, early, mid, mid career, senior level, that's an HR leader that has the ability to flex back and forth. Mm-hmm. So let's let's take COVID for example. Mm-hmm. Somebody in the middle can do what's required from a rules perspective to make the workplace safe for people that are there, and they'll do you know. So somebody in the middle can flex back to the high rules right. type of individual, but then mm-hmm. from a standpoint of those who can work from home and encouraging mm-hmm. managers mm-hmm. to be more fluid with how they really define that. They can also flex that way, which is very very much a low rules type of scenario for a lot of organizations right, right. now. So I don't think there's a, a the best one. Everybody wants to be the assassin, yeah. but, but what I would say is you just wanna understand who you are. And if you end up in the middle, just know you're like uniquely positioned to face any situation. I think the people who are the assassin, and then you go on the other side, you've got the cop and the judge who are high rules. The people on both sides of the extremes have a harder time like matching up with a situation that doesn't directly match kind of their behavioral makeup, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, it definitely makes makes sense to me. I think that over time, as you you can move, you can also move through each of these personas as well as right. you're developing your career. And that's what the fluidity of it really makes the most sense. Um, I also love about this book, how you kind of switch between quotes from people to quotes from movies to quotes yeah. from songs. Right, right. Um, because, you know, normally you'd see a lot of people uh, when they write books and they're going to do quotes, they just do quotes, quotes from people. Right. Um, what, what made you decide to, to do this, to, to do it in this particular way? 
Yeah. Well, it's a good question. And it's the way I kind of view the world. It's the way I want to like consume things. Um, so if you go all the way back, Julie, to when I started the HR capitalists and fistful of talent, so that goes all the way back. I'm going to show my age that goes all the way back to 2007, 2008. Mm -hmm. And I was influenced by blogs at the time that were very much pop culture blogs mm -hmm. that were ripping a lot of stuff, you know, from the movie industry and music and even news. And they were like mashing it all together. The best example I have of that is probably Gawker. Mm -hmm. .com. Okay. And there's a, there's a sports version of the same family called Deadspin. Now, I think Gawker does not exist anymore. It actually was part of a big lawsuit. I won't, I won't bore your listeners with this. It's part of a big lawsuit mm -hmm. and ultimately got shuttered down. Um, but it's that blending. So I'm not a big, I, I get bored easily with things that are very academic and there's nothing wrong. If, if people enjoy academic writings, mm -hmm. good for you. You do you. Yeah. I've never been that way. No. Like you've got to hook me in with some more stuff. So that's kind of the origin of it. And that's why not only with the quotes that I lead with at every chapter, but I, but I try and do a bunch of pop culture references yeah. in the writing. I think you mentioned it before we yeah. started. So, you know, you've got like an entire bonus chapter on how Drake promotes himself and yeah. what HR people can learn from that. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to draw as many people in the tent as possible. Plus, probably most importantly, is how I learned to write mm -hmm. from what I what influenced me back in 2007, 2008. And some people will be turned off by it, but I think the people who will, I'll be able to connect with most will naturally, that'll naturally kind of resonate with yeah. them. Yeah. And I think um, I really enjoyed it just because it of all of those different movements that were being made through the book. It, I'm a very visual person. Um, I love the diagrams. I love the quotes. Um, right. it just read very, it just flowed very nicely for me. So I really enjoyed um, reading it. And it wasn't like um, when you when I first look at books and I go, oh gosh, this is so thick. Am I going to read all of this? But you don't right. have to read it from start to finish either. Sure, right. Um, yeah. and, that, and, and those are the things that I always look for as, as I read books, you know, and I'm just trying to pull information, whether it's to help me or help a client, you know, I'm able to pull that way. And so this book really resonates with me. Yeah, can I have one thing? Absolutely. So how would you laugh at this, Julie? I, I would tell you it's, you would think like if you've read my blogs, et cetera, et cetera, that it just all like flows out, right? And it just all happens naturally. I would tell you like one of the hardest things to do was to like look across pop culture and news and find appropriate sites. Yeah. Find the right quote, find mm -hmm. the right like pop culture hook. You know, mm -hmm. you you think you've got it. And then you, you add it in and you're like, it's disjointed. Yeah. So it was harder than, I thought that part was going to be easy. When, when I thought, especially in the quotes, mm -hmm. like even to connect the quotes that I used at the start of every chapter, which mm -hmm. for the most part are pulled from music, right. um, movies, and mm -hmm. you know, Hollywood, like all this stuff in the States. Mm -hmm. When I did that, it was a lot harder than I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it would be easier because I thought you've got the whole universe of quotes. Uh -huh. Surely you can like figure that out. And it was kind of humbling. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like from, from my book I'm writing, I'm using music quotes and you know, <clears throat> it's 
really been a, a interesting exercise because I thought, well, you love music. This should come to you naturally, but it's, right. it really is not. And it is proving more challenging than I thought, but I'm enjoying the process as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is too. It's a process for sure. So I can't wait to read your book. Thank you. So guys, The Nine Faces of HR by Chris Dunn, you need to go get it. If you don't have it, make sure you read it. Um, you're going to learn a lot about yourself as you can, as you read it. It is a self-discovery of your HR career and how you expect to map that out going forward. So please go check out The Nine Faces of HR. Chris, can you tell us what are you reading, watching, listening to right now that you think that other HR professionals will benefit from? Oh, so such a good, good thing to to ask. I think, you know, obviously like Lori's book, mm-hmm. like I'm reading that about, about careers. Yeah. I'm also digging in a little bit. I think, you know, I've got a, I've got a variety of things I'm reading right now, Julie, just mm-hmm. about like the, the art of management. So one of the things I did at Kinetics back in 2014 is, and this is kind of along the lines of the earlier conversation we had about what are you working on? I developed a, a series for a training series for managers of people. And it's called the boss leadership series. And, you know, along your lines of liking all the hooks to pop culture. So it's a, it's a series that's designed for managers of people. Um, just manager training. Mm-hmm. How do you get better at all those conversations? So right now I'm in the process of bringing that from traditional classroom stuff with participants guides and all of those items that you would expect from classroom training, I'm, I'm trying to bring it online okay, and bring it alive that way just for the COVID era and the post-COVID era, because it's not going all the way back to, to what it was, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing that online. So I'm reading a lot of stuff just about, you know, you know, the best way to have great conversations with employees. And I'm really doing that. I've learned a lot for myself through that, but I'm also learning you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to curate the best stuff mm-hmm. um, that way, because I think the biggest miss we have in our organizations right now, the biggest limiting factor is always how good are our individual managers of people. Mm-hmm. I really view that as kind of the flock that we serve in HR. We serve employees for sure, but in order to get the best results, our managers of people, we're always good yeah. as probably our weakest manager of people. So I'm trying to figure out a better way to connect with them. And I'm doing that mm-hmm. through a variety of books, through like a lot of magazines. And mm-hmm. I'm just trying to like pull the best stuff. Yeah. We're always in research and development mode, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. I think so. What are you, what are you reading right now? Uh, right now I am reading HR Rising by Steve Brown. Yeah. Can't go wrong with Steve. No, definitely not. I'm reading that. And I'm also reading Agile HR, which is by Natal Bank and Rena Hellstrom. Um, yeah. Agile, I believe that we do as HR professionals need to be more agile. Um, and I'm also reading as reading it as a learning, you know. Um, but I'm also enjoying um, a lot of TED Talks right now on neurodiversity. Got it. So that's, that's where my, my head is at right now. Cool. <laughs> the neuroscience of it all, better yeah. understanding our people. Right. So let me ask you this, COVID-19, oh, we're in our second year. What would you say has been your biggest learning out of COVID-19? Hmm. I think, I think the biggest learning is probably just the fact that everyone 
distrusted the ability. And by the way, the, the vast majority of the world does not work from home. No. So I think one of the learnings is for people like you and I who, you know, do interviews like this and we dig in and we write a little bit and like we do all this, it's easy to get sucked in to kind of this comfort zone where everybody's working from home. Mm -hmm. And it's simply not true. Like the vast majority of people still have to go into work, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I think about two months in, kind of the May, June, June timeframe, mm -hmm. I kind of like thought about it. And I thought, you know, all the writing that I'm doing about like working from home, it's good, but like, it's incredibly a little bit of a navel gaze because the vast majority of the world's not working from home. So I think the first acknowledgement I had is I had to kind of come back to that and, and think about that a little bit. I think mm -hmm. the, the second learning is how, like for those that did work from home, how many people distrusted the fact that great work could get done from home and to see that transition from maybe May, June, July mm -hmm. of 2020 through what it is today. And I think what's going to happen, Julie, is the fact that I think we've learned that good work can get done without being face-to-face -face if you have the ability to work remotely, if you're lucky enough to have kind of that privilege. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think what a lot of people have learned is they survived. And I think a lot of managers of people went from being incredibly skeptical to becoming comfortable with it. So I just saw, it's interesting, this is good timing. I just saw a site from Business Week mm -hmm. that really put the number of office swipes of like your FOB, Mm -hmm. like at the office, yeah. mm -hmm. the number of office swipes for entry in the United States is right now sitting at around 35%. Mm -hmm. And we're taping this in late January, early February mm -hmm. of 2021. It, right now it's sitting at about 35% of what it was in February, um, 2020, right before COVID hit in the States. Wow. So my, my expectation is that's going to go up Mm -hmm. you know, vaccine once we clear all this out, mm -hmm. but it's not going all the way back. Right. Right. Like, it'll be interesting. I, I would, what yeah. do you think that number is? I'll ask you the question, Julie, if, <laughs> if it's sitting at 35% in the States right mm -hmm. now, once we have the ability to go back, yeah. what percentage I've got mm -hmm. one in my head, but I'm going to play game show with you. What, what <laughs> percentage do you think it's going back to? I think it'll maybe we stayed just a little under 50%. Okay. But I don't think it'll be 50%. Okay. Or over I, that. I, I think, I, th I, I guessed a little bit higher. Okay. I kind of guessed it's not going above 65%. I okay. think there'll be like, I think what'll happen in the States is I think there'll be a little bit, not a backlash, but there'll right. be a movement mm -hmm. at some point in late 2021, not of distrust, but the, but the talking points will be, we have to be together a little bit to have collaboration right? and to innovate. I think probably now that mm -hmm. I think about it, mm -hmm. I feel like somewhere between your number and my number yeah. might be right. You might've chased me down from my number <laughs> a little bit. Just because I, for me, I'm discovering, I've discovered a lot of ways to work remotely via technology. So Absolutely. One of my recent discoveries was Remote HQ. I discovered that um, through um, Kareen Holbrook, who was interviewing um, Y, Col 
Waikit Lao from Remote HQ last week. And that piece of software does everything. You can create war rooms. You can, you know, open doors and shut doors. You can have open and shut meetings. You can um, even do like Google searches collaboratively. They right. are now um, looking to interface with um, Microsoft Teams. They already are integrated with Trello and Slack and all of these things. So I see if people, I see a hybrid where there's more um, people being able to work remotely and moving around remotely. Um, yeah, no, it's good. Nomadity. That's what I see a lot more of. People yeah, I think yeah, I, yeah. People working wherever they want. Wherever they want, I, yeah. I see. A, I see that happening as I see this tech evolving and right. the possibilities of what tech can bring to the table for remote teams. Um, I really feel like we'll, we'll, we'll be a little bit below fifty percent, um, maybe fifty percent. Hey, let me let me tell you something else I learned that I think you would be interested in. I think your your listeners would be interested in. The other thing I learned during COVID. You know, I mentioned this boss series where we do this leadership training. We've got seven modules. So it's like coaching skills. Like historically, we would come in for a day and we would do, and I, I'm one of the trainers. Um, I've got some great um, trainers behind me. We would come in like for a day and really like ramp up coaching skills for managers of people. Here's something I learned. Super interesting. So mm -hmm. we've done probably five big engagements during COVID where we train like upwards of like a hundred people and we roll like multiple classes through in a variety of skills that are part of that series. Mm -hmm. We use zoom and uh, we did, we did a podcast on this. We use zoom. Here's what we found, found out. We use zoom breakout rooms mm -hmm. for the skill practice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we thought, well, there's no way this can be as good as classroom training. I actually like, Zoom breakout rooms yes. for skill practice better than I like being in the facility. Here's why, you know, when you're in the facility, like if I were like, if I were like serving you as an HR leader and you brought, you brought us in to do this, generally you're going to give us a big conference room and maybe one other room. And we break mm -hmm. out like four or five groups in groups of three observer, manager, fake employee. Mm -hmm. We practice the skills, the privacy that we got from a Zoom breakout room made people more comfortable. Yes. It was less loud. And then the other thing we got is we were able to create like a one page cheat sheet where now just like you and I are talking on Zoom and we can see each other, I can look directly at you and right to the side, I'm gonna put my eyes on it so you can see it here, mm -hmm. right to the side, I could have a digital page pulled yeah. up that's an outline for the skill I'm practicing. And I gotta tell you, the people did as good and probably got more out of the skill practice than I think sometimes they did face to face. And that really was a, was a big learning for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really do love um, the ability to use the breakout rooms. And um, I've also found that just as you said, people are more at ease because they know there's no one else, no one else in the other groups can hear them, right. what they're saying. They're more, they're more open once they get to the point of, well, introduce yourself, tell me who you are, what you do, and then let's get to work. And people are more willing to do that. When, when you pass through the breakout rooms as a facilitator and you hear the conversations that are happening, I find it's very, um, very heartwarming that people are so receptive to the technology. So definitely, I think um, that's a huge learning for sure.
Yeah. And I think, we're, I think we're only more comfortable now. Right. Mm -hmm. I think if you did that in, you know, March, April of 2020 with knowledge workers who have the ability to work from home, they would have been good at it, but they wouldn't be as good as they are today in 2021 because they've had so much practice. Absolutely. It's just like, I believe in the um, benefits of homeschooling. Now, you know, my children have the option to either listen to the teacher or go check it on YouTube and see if they're, they're right or wrong and, right. and search it a bit more because they were able to interact with the technologies all at the same time. So for me, I think um, homeschooling does have its benefits, but I have huge, huge respect for teachers. Of course. Uh, homeschooling yeah. and working from home and running a household all at the same time is not an easy job. Um, and I, I have huge respect to the teachers who do it on a daily basis. Keeping those children, keeping children's attention is not easy. Sure. So let me ask you the big question. <laughs> yeah. What is the biggest misconception about our profession that really bothers you that you want to set the record straight on today? Well, I think, I think the biggest misperception is simply that we are keepers of the flame from an HR perspective in, in terms of policy, rules, and regulations. I and love that chapter. Well, there's a quote that you use on that chapter. We don't need no stinking. We don't need no stinking rules. That's from a movie. That's from a, like an 80s movie called Blazing Saddles. I love that. Um, because I think the quote from Blazing Saddles is we don't need no stinking badges, which yes. by the way, is I think a quote from like a non-comedy movie mm. um, from earlier. I, I can't remember what that movie is, but that's actually, I quoted it from a movie that uh -huh. took it as a pop culture like pull yes. into their, their own movie and, uh, and did, yeah, we don't need no stinking rules. But I think like to your point mm -hmm. and, and to the question, I think when when people have stereotypes about HR, it's command and control. They're command and control. They're the rules people. Yeah. They fire people. And mm -hmm. by the way, all of those things are realities for HR leaders and HR pros with client groups. You have to do some of that. It's yeah. what it is. It really comes down to the engagement when you're using some of those tools with people in the field. It's the empathy you know, by which you explore mm -hmm whatever issue you're dealing with to try and like, like apply a policy to, I think, you know, the stereotype, by the way, the stere stereotypes exist for a reason, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Many times, not all the times, many times stereotypes are, there's some truth to them. And, you know, a lot of people have experienced an HR person that was doing it 100% by the book related to the, the handbook policy and procedure. Mm -hmm. It was all black and white when everyone knows it's a sea of gray. Yeah. And the smart HR pros like have those tools in the background, Julie, I think, and I know you agree with me. They have those tools mm -hmm. in the background. They are guides. Yes. But they never come across, even if they're like going to end up terming somebody for a violation, they never come across as the fact that it's done and I'm just here to enforce this. They always add more value in every situation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, you know, I hear this one more, more and more um, from HR professionals because I know it's just that huge sticking point where that we're so much more than that. Um, and, you know, we're really not, 
we're not running around the organization with the handbook in our hand going, okay, so let's see who's breaking this policy today. And let me flip through here and go, yeah, you, you're breaking that policy. We're not, we're not trying to do that. We're trying to make the work workplace a better place for everyone that we work for and that we work with. And um, I think that the more people realize that, um, I, I feel like the handbook will, I feel like the handbook will go away. Like even now in this remote space, like who's really managing the, the handbook right now? Nobody. Right. I don't think anybody is. Yeah. No, I think. And I, I think, you know, it's up to, there's still a lot of those HR pros in the world. And that's, that's one of the reasons back to the book is mm-hmm. everybody should be aware. So for the high rules people, you know, it's called the cop and the judge, right? Mm-hmm. And the machine on that far left side of the nine faces of HR. You just have to be aware yeah. of how the world kind of views you. And really there's, there's a, like literally a million different ways to, to get to this, Julie, but it comes down to, really our job, if we want like a dynamic career, and if we want people to feel great about us as HR professionals and about our profession, mm-hmm. our job, and it, there's a million ways to get there, is to make somebody have a positive experience with us, yeah. even in negative circumstances and say, that was different. Absolutely. Because everybody has a stereotype yeah. um, of what HR is. It's different for different people. But if you engage them in a way where they say, well, that, that was different, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the door opens up and now all of a sudden they're coming to you proactively to get your assistance, to make things better in your company or your organization. Yeah. And I know you agree, Julie, that's, I, that's where yeah. the magic really happens. Absolutely, absolutely. The times when I've had I can remember like the first experience I ever had when, when an employee actually said to me, you know, Oh, so this is what HR looks like. Wow. Right. Then, you know, I was like, you know, that, that filled me for a good, a very long time. Like I remember it down to this day, the moment, the circumstances, the words that were said, I remember all of that. And yeah, those, those are the wins that get you through the tough days. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Chris, tell us, um, what is next for Chris then? Yeah. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, right? I think, um, you know, the biggest thing I would tell you is I'm hopeful that 2021 is less me. Mm -hmm. And this is my hope for everybody too, but like, I'll just talk about me, but I think it affects everybody. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us spent a good portion of 2020 in the fetal position, you know, like, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. scared to act what's going to happen. You know, it was, you know, with so much going on in the world related to COVID and social unrest, I think a lot of people weren't taking many chances and I'm not talking about chances that are negative. I just think Mm -hmm. a lot of people were laying low Mm -hmm. because there was so much going on in the world that they didn't, they weren't as proactive as they needed to be. be. Mm -hmm. And that, that certainly was the case for me. So I've got, I would just tell you, I've got a lot of goals you know, my life at Kinetics, which is the company that I'm at, my own part of mm-hmm. for the blogs, for the podcasts, I've got a lot of goals and I kind of really want to be unapologetic about re-engaging and getting to some of those goals. Wow. And I think 2020 was tough. So yeah. I always, you know, I've written about it. Mm-hmm. I encourage people it's, it's time to get out of the fetal position 
and you're doing, you're doing it right. You're doing stuff because you're having great conversations Absolutely. and uh, you know, you're going to go get it. And that's, that's awesome. And I think everybody can learn from that. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Um, so I wish you all the best for 2021 and beyond. I will continue watching and reading and listening and engaging in your content because I think it's absolutely awesome. And I've learned so much and I know that I'm going to continue to learn a lot from you. Um, tell our beautiful people where they can find you on social media. Yeah, probably the best place is LinkedIn. So mm -hmm. just uh, go Chris Dunn with a K, K-R-I-S. You'll find me. I'm at Kinetics. You'll see a picture of a guy in a white shirt that looks a little younger than he does today, right, Julie? I got to figure that out. Not too yet, not too much younger, maybe three, maybe three or four years. Mm. But uh, yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best place. If you search, you know, HR Capitalist and Chris Dunn with a K, you'll come out there. You can also find me at hrcapitalist.com mm -hmm. and fistfulloftalent.com as well. But those, those, those three places probably the easiest. Wonderful. So I will include those links in the comments as well. But with awesome. that being said, Chris, you have survived your time in the Sambuf and I want to thank you so much for engaging with me today. I'm sure that we have, we have all learned a lot just from the nuggets that you have shared in this brief moment. Um, and the great thing about a podcast is that people can go back and they can listen to it over and over because I'm sure that there's there are some gems in there that people are going to want to hear again or share with others. And don't forget the nine faces of HR. Go check it out. Yeah. Thanks, Julie, for your time. Keep doing what you're doing. I'll, I'll be watching you as well. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms. At I am Julie Turney. That's I-A-M, Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms. Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again in the next Sound Off.